last in our series this morning on Crosswinds Family Values. Um, uh, the last of our family values is uh, being intentionally local. And so we're going to dive into that as soon as I finish flipping. So, um, I grew up uh, a Pistons fan. I don't know how many of you like, like basketball. Um, if you like basketball, currently, uh, and, and you're young, you might not remember, but there was a time when the, when the Detroit Pistons were at the top of the basketball heap. Uh, they were my favorite team. They had lots of uh, interesting players, but kind of the, one of the favorites in what was called the Bad Boys era, which was the, the late 80s and, and the first couple of years of the 90s, was a guy whose name was Dennis Rodman. Uh, Dennis Rodman uh, was, was one of the, the favorites here. Everyone loved him. They called him uh, the worm. Uh, people loved the worm uh, for the, uh, his, his attitude and who he was when he was here. Uh, he was a guy who didn't need to score a lot of, a lot of baskets. He was just known for like hard work and, and rebounding and giving uh, everything he, he had. And so a lot of us became huge fans of, of, of the worm uh, until he left and went to, uh, to Chicago. And there's no bigger crime you can commit against the Pistons than to leave the Pistons and go uh, to Chicago. It, it's terrible. Uh, he, um, he, he went, and I think he might have won championships uh, there. Uh, I think there was a good player in Chicago, but I, I don't know his name. Um, so... That's a basketball joke that only some people, some people got. But the, in, in Chicago, uh, Dennis goes and wins championships. But at the same time that as, as Dennis is off winning championships, he get, continues to get increasingly odd. He, he continues to have strange things happen to him. And so when he was here, he was like uh, the boy, uh, uh, Dennis Rodman, uh, uh, just uh, a wholesome seeming dude when, when he went to Chicago uh, and I don't think these two things are related uh, slowly his face became full of more and more and more piercings until his, his head uh, looked sort of like a, like a pincushion of, of piercings and he started to do kind of weird stuff like there was an incident where, where Dennis showed up to an event in, in a wedding dress and you're like, why Dennis Rodman just show up to this event in a wedding dress? There's got to be a logical and good explanation for that. There's not. There wasn't. There was no good explanation for why Dennis did that. And he did other stuff. If you've read about Dennis Rodman recently in the news, it's because he's, he's close friends with the, with the dictators in, in uh, North Korea. Good buddies. And so... But we loved Dennis Rodman here, and then Dennis kind of got, got strange, and I always wondered sort of what happened in, in Dennis Rodman's life to cause this, this strangeness to abound. And I, I found that answer uh, in, in reading the, the life story of, of Dennis. Dennis grew up um, uh, in, in a home where he was being raised with, with his siblings and, and his mom. He actually comes to, comes to prominence and ends up in college only because a, a family uh, befriends him and he moves in with that family and they help him get into college and they, they motivate him and do all of those things. And it, and it went pretty well for him uh, in the sense that he did become an NBA player. But there's this undercurrent uh, in, in Dennis Rodman's life 
that is one that seems to be one where he's never, uh, never truly happy and he's never truly satisfied. So what happened? And, and what happened in Dennis Rodman's own words, I think, is this. He tells a story of, of one day he's, he's at his house as a young man, as a boy, really, and, and a dude shows up and, and takes him to, to ice cream, him, him and his siblings to ice cream, and he ta- brings them home from ice cream, leaves, and he never sees that guy again. It wasn't until years later that Dennis Rodman realized that that guy who had picked him up for ice cream and, and taken him out that once and dropped him off was his father. And that was the only, the only interaction Dennis Rodman had in his life with, with his father. His father was essentially absent. And it caused all these sort of, sort of eccentricities and, and problems in Dennis Rodman's life. And I was thinking about that uh, this morning as the, uh, as the son of of uh, a mother whose father left while, um, while my grandma was pregnant for my mother. And she had no interaction with him except for the very few times in our life that he would, uh, he would show up at our house unannounced and, and try to act like he had been there. Uh, and, and it was always a very strange thing to have this, this stranger uh, sitting in the, in the house acting like he'd been there, but you don't really know him, and that person's claiming to be your father. And and so I, I've also had, had this experience in, in coaching for years now in, in, uh, at Godwin Heights. We have an experience where a lot of our young men don't have fathers in, in their homes. And it was interesting. I was, uh, I was uh, interacting this week with one talking about how, how one of their, their, their birth dads had come in and had tried to spend a few minutes with them and tried to act like he'd been there, but he was like, you've never been here for me. I don't even, even know you. And so I was thinking about that and the impact that has in our society. And here's where I want to relate it this morning. One of the things we're going to talk about, uh, well, specifically what we're going to talk about this morning is the concept of intentional locality. And intentional locality or being intentionally local is this idea that, that the congregation should be present within the community that, that it exists in. That there should be that there should be an actual physical uh, palpable presence, and we'll talk about what what that means. And, and so I was thinking about that, and, and and since in you know one of Crosswind's values is functioning like a family, and so I was trying to relate in my head what it means for the church to function like a family and how that works in society. And what, what we're going to talk about is the importance of the church being present. And what I realized is that, that the negatives in our culture uh, of the church not being present are similar to the results of, of, of what is happening in our culture with absentee parentism, absentee fathers, all of these, these sorts of things. And so I want to introduce to you the idea in that way. Uh, but I want to kind of go to Scripture and help us to understand the idea that we're going to talk about this morning. And the idea is this, is that the presence of, of the church is needed for the church to be what the church is supposed to be in, in society. And we all know this. And so I told you those other stories to simply say this, is that, that in the lives of these, these people, the presence of another person could have made a difference, and, and it actually did the opposite. And so we need to talk about how the, how the church functions. So... Here's, my, here's one of my, my commitments and, and ideas in life is that when things are said in, in Scripture and when, when, a, 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 um, when an idea is established or we're given an example by Jesus, that we should reflect those things 
on a, on a personal level, on, on an individual level, but my other commitment is not only should we reflect those things on a, on a personal and an individual level, but in as much as the church is made up of people, that the church corporately should also reflect those ideas. And so the church as individuals follows the example of Jesus, but the church corporately should also follow, follow Jesus. And so what I wanna talk about, want to talk about this morning is what does, do we, the church corporate, what, how do we reflect who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and how does that relate to the presence of, of the church or the church being intentionally local? So when we say intentionally local uh, at Crosswinds, essentially what we are talking about is this idea that the church should have direct impact in the neighborhood that, that surrounds it. So I want to give just a brief parenthesis because I do know that, that in, in our congregations there will be times when people come from outside of the given community to, to the congregation and they might be involved here. And so I want, want to say that we're not really talking as much about that this morning, but about the corporate witness of, of the actual congregation or what we as a body uh, should look like and how we should function. And so when we say intentionally local, what we mean is, is this. You know that we have, a, we have a saying that says if they can't walk, it's too far. We believe that congregations should be close enough that people can walk, but we also believe that the church should be ministering in a way so that the people who could walk into the congregation are being impacted by the ministry of that congregation. It's a simple reason we, we say that. We see it in the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, in John 1.14, where we're going to spend uh, a good amount of time this morning, it says this, the word, the word being Jesus himself, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The, the verse says here this, that Jesus became flesh he became flesh. Why? Because he is eternally existent as the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with, with, with God the Father, uh, co-equal with, with, with God uh, the Spirit, uh, always existent in heaven, always the ruler of all things, always the creator of all things. He was always God in every sense that one could be God, and he decided to... to, to uh, to move out of the neighborhood in which he dwelt, which was as God in heaven, as the rightful, uh, the rightful heir to the throne of God, as the lamb upon the throne, Jesus himself decided uh, uh, to move out of heaven and move into the neighborhood, so to speak. He moved into the flesh. And so Jesus steps out of heaven, moves into flesh. You know that we're coming into the Advent season, the season in which we, we celebrate the coming of, of, of Jesus. We, uh, Christmas is a part of the Advent season. At Christmas, we celebrate this idea that Jesus Christ became a baby, a human child, and he grew up as a human child into an adult and that he lived a very human life. We see this talked about in, in verse 14 of John 1, the word became flesh, the word is Jesus, he became flesh. And so we're going to refer to that this morning as Jesus moving or Jesus relocating. Jesus moved into the neighborhood in which we all dwelt. In other words, Jesus did not minister to you and I. He did not, uh, he did not save you and I uh, as, as, uh, as a commuter. 
He didn't do it from outside the neighborhood. He did not do it through some supernatural act directly from heaven uh, alone. There was a supernatural act. It came from heaven. It was him. He became flesh. Jesus becomes human. He moves into the neighborhood of humanity. He becomes flesh and he dwells amongst us. The idea then is that the God of the universe who being God, who having everything at his disposal, who lacking for, for nothing, limited by nothing, chooses to, 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 to voluntarily step out of his place in the, in, in the throne room and into our place uh, on the, the earth. And he, it's as if Jesus moved next door to you. Jesus moves into the neighborhood uh, of humanity. When he does that, we observe his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. The idea here is is that Jesus, in, in, in moving out of heaven and into the neighborhood of humanity, puts the glory of God on display so that it can be seen. So that when people see Jesus in his humanity, when they see the actions of Jesus in his humanity, they see the works of Jesus in his humanity, they encounter the salvation through Jesus in his humanity, through his death and resurrection. When we encounter the works of Jesus, we see them and God is glorified. Jesus is, is, the, is the billboard, so to speak. He is the the signage. He is the display of the glory of God because he has moved into the neighborhood of humanity and he can be seen there. Just as if you went out your front door and saw your neighbor doing something, God is glorified because when Jesus stepped into humanity, he was seen, he was observed. Now, I don't know what kind of neighbor you are, but one of the interesting things and one of kind of the enjoyable things about, about my mom is that uh, she was a good neighbor, but she was also an observant neighbor. And so she would often, uh, she would often work at her, uh, her sink, and her sink would, would kind of overlook what the neighbors were doing or where the neighbor's house was. And so uh, she would be working there. She would do, be doing dishes. She would be doing whatever. But one of the funny things that happened is that she would always have some sort of news about what the neighbor was doing. One time she told me, yeah, the neighbor lost their phone in the middle of the road. She had seen that that happened, but she also know. Oh, the neighbor over there. Uh, she used to be dating this person, but she now appears to be dating this person, and she's not together with that person anymore because we haven't seen her. My mother knew this because she worked at her sink. There was a window, and she could observe it. Uh, she observed many other interesting factoids. Now, if you're too observant of your neighbor, right, that can be a crime. You could be slightly less observant in that. That's just creepy, right? But by the same token, we observe our neighbors. One of the great things about living in a neighborhood is you, that, that there's, there's, um, there's safety in it, right? We observe the coming and going. We get used to other people's behaviors and other people's movements. One of the, one of the internet uh, news sites this week had, a, had an interest piece uh, uh, that was just, you know, an intra, uh, a piece about... People who had died and become mummified because no one had noticed that they had died. And one of the stories in there was was a woman who had died 40 years before sitting at her kitchen table. And nobody had noticed because none of her neighbors had, had seen. But in a good neighborhood, 
There is an observation. We know that, oh, I've got a neighbor and I haven't seen them come and go for a while. I should go check on them, right? In a bad neighborhood, apparently you turn to a mummy, right? But in a good neighborhood, there's observation, right? Your neighbors see you, you see them. Jesus, when he moves into the neighborhood, when he moves into the neighborhood of humanity, he puts on the display of the glory of God because we can observe him like neighborhood, neighbors. We see him. We see what he did. We see what he, what he does. That is why, among other reasons, that he comes in the flesh and dwells amongst us, we observe his glory. Uh, his, his glory is, is due him, his, his glory is his alone. His glory is true, but it is also observable by the fact that he moved into the neighborhood of humanity and he displayed the glory of God for we, his neighbors, who could look at him. The word becomes flesh. Jesus moves out of heaven and into the neighborhood of humanity and we observe his glory and God is glorified because Jesus can be seen. Now, if we want to apply that to the corporate reality of, of the church, we need to ask then, what does it mean for a church to incarnate? What Jesus did is called the incarnation. What does it mean for the church to become flesh? And what does it mean for the church to be observable? Here becomes the crux of our message. We are convinced at, at Crosswinds that the church must be enfleshed, we are convinced that the church must be observable, and if it is not, the glory of God will not be rightly displayed amongst the neighbors of that church. And so the word incarnation means to take on a body. It suggests that we have a body. What we would suggest to you is that one of the problems we are experiencing in the church, and one of the things we see commonly in, in the church in America, if you like me, are worried about the decline of people following Jesus in our country, if you were worried about, about, the, about what is happening, if you're worried about our corporate witness, I would suggest to you that one of the reasons that that has happened is because the church has forgotten what it means to be incarnate. The church has forgotten what it means to be enfleshed. So we have a, a phrase that we use kind of in the hood, and the phrase is ghosting, right? To ghost, it means... Uh, I was with you, but I'm going to get gone. I ghosted. I left. To ghost means to disappear. And what I would suggest that is, in a lot of ways, because uh, the church has not, has forgotten how to be incarnate, the church has forgotten how to be enfleshed, the church has forgotten how to, be, how to move into the neighborhood, the church essentially exists as, as an entity without a body that can be observed, and in that case, the church has ghosted the neighborhood. And because the church has ghosted the neighborhood, there is a decline in people giving glory as they should to our Father. There is a decline in people wanting to follow our King Jesus. There is a decline in people, uh, uh, people believing the things that, that, that they should believe about our Lord. And the reason, I think, why is because the church has ghosted the neighborhood. It's disappeared. And they can't see it. And so, let me explain to you what I, what I mean here. I, I think that what has happened in American church culture uh, is that largely what we have are ghost churches. And when I say ghost churches, I mean congregations that, that are not enfleshed or embodied in any one specific location or any specific place, but rather have focused on, on, um, 
more, uh, more regional approaches, approaches to ministry. And now, it is possible to be an enfleshed. It is possible to be embodied. It is possible to be a, a church uh, that, that is fully present and a good neighbor in, in its community and be regional at the, at the same time. However, often this is not what is happening. What is happening oftentimes is people are driving in to congregations that are meeting in one location. That location... Uh, wherever it is, is usually chosen if, uh, for reasons such as convenience, reasons such as proximity to its original members. They might cho- choose that location for many reasons. But then the church, in emphasizing the, the, uh, the spiritual nature of, of a congregation, invites people into the congregation, and it focuses on spiritual things, and it focuses on spiritual issues, and it, it might preach a good, honest, truthful, gospel message. It might talk about Jesus, but the people who go to that church drive into that church, spend Sunday morning there, and then they drive back to their homes where they live. The church sits there all during the week making preparations or preparing for people to drive in to it, and those preparations largely are to meet what we would call spiritual needs. Spiritual needs meaning uh, how do we put on a worship service for people? How do we put on a prayer service for people? How do we preach a gospel message to people? And so what happens then is all of us drive in to each Sunday to come in and do spiritual things. We get our spiritual fix like, like we pulled into a spiritual gas station. We get filled up with our spiritual fix. We leave then the church and we leave, uh, leave that area and we go back to where, where we were from. And this could be whether we live in the community or neighborhood or not, but we go back to where we're from and we have focused in, in the church on those things which we are called spiritual. And the congregation itself exists to provide spiritual goods and services. We exist to provide preaching, singing, and, and, and comfort and, and shepherding. And the church does those things which are good things and appropriate things to do. But the church has become so focused on that that it feels like it can do that from any place. And so it is not all that uncommon for a large church to be, or a church to be growing in one place. It's springing up, it's growing, it's doing those things. It grows, and then it outgrows its current building, and it might move 20 to 30 minutes into another place, and it does not affect their, their attendance. It increases their attendance, and it, it, they might be fine there, and then they go, okay, we're here. We need another satellite location to, to, to uh, consume more uh, people, to, to hold more people so more people can come, and they set up satellite locations, and people fill that up. In all of this, the main ministry of the church is, is spiritual goods and, and services, focusing on spiritual things, which we should, but if we do that, we need to be aware that those behaviors are not fully enfleshing who Christ is or enfleshing what the body of Christ should be in any community, right? And what I'm talking about here this morning is this idea that wherever the church building is located, right, the building is not a church, but wherever the building in which the church meets is, that that location should feel and experience the ministry of that church in their everyday lives. We've talked to you before about how in modern, uh, in modern Christianity, the person that we see at the gas station three times a week often has more impact in our life than the person we go to church with. That is problematic 
It's even more problematic when, when congregations like uh, congregations or, or churches uh, swell up and they grow. And what they do is they provide goods and spiritual services for the people who attend. But the building is simply a holding place. It has no connection to the idea that God has put them in that place and, and where they are so that they might be the embodiment or the display of who God is and what God has done. And so the idea that I would, would suggest to you this morning is that one of the big problems we have is that the church has been a, become a ghost organization. It, it, it haunts various neighborhoods. It, it, it has, has various, uh, you might, there might be whispers of, of the church in various neighborhoods, but the church has not fully enfleshed who Jesus is in a, in a lot of neighborhoods. And the problem with that is John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have observed him and we have observed the glory of the Father. That the glory of who Jesus is is not being put on display in the church because the church is largely functioning simply like a ghost in its community. You know this, you are committed to this. I'm just affirming to you theologically why we do what we do. You know that Crosswinds is committed to this idea. Wherever we are, wherever the buildings are located where we meet, we are going to attempt to have ministry and impact around those buildings as many days of the week as we can. Wherever there are people who, who, who need, uh, need Jesus and need to encounter him, we are going to try and display the love of him regularly. But one of those... but. What I think has happened largely is that churches, instead of, instead of embodying who Jesus is, uh, so that the church might be observed, they function like a ghost, getting together to do ghostly things, right? They get together to sing songs, which are spiritual. They get together to listen to, to Bible verses, which is spiritual. They get together to do tithes, offerings, communion, all those things that, that we do, which are good, but if that is all we do, that is largely an unenfleshed church in the community. And the problem with that is, is that unless a person walks into the church on Sunday morning to observe us doing spiritual things, they will be left with a church that's unenfleshed. They can't see it, they can't observe it, and they can't encounter the Jesus that is at the center of it. His glory is not displayed in a church that is never enfleshed amongst them. It needs to be observed. And so... I want to flip really quickly to 1 John 1. Uh, John the Apostle is, um, is, writing, uh, is writing to the, to, the, um, to the church. And when he writes to the church, he's combating a, 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 a nascent version of what's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a, is, a, is a spiritual system that essentially separated spirit from flesh. And it essentially argued that, that spirit was good and that flesh was evil. And so they ignored issues of the flesh because they believed the body to be evil and the flesh, uh, uh, the, the spirit, to be all that, all that mattered. And so John writes to them to, 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 to stand up as a gospel opponent of that, to say that's not right in 1 John when he writes this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we observed, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father that was revealed to us. John, writing about Jesus to people who were Gnostic, people who, who essentially believed that the flesh was evil and the spirit was all that mattered. John writes to them and he begins by saying, what was from the beginning, in the beginning was the word, 
uh, and the word became flesh. What we have heard, that's a sense. What we have heard with our ears, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is saying this. He says, listen, I walked with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. I listened to Jesus. I saw Jesus. I touched Jesus. What we have written about is this. The flesh is not evil, but Jesus came in the flesh and it displayed to us what was true about eternal life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you that the eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. How? How did he do it? Because they have seen it. They've heard it. They've touched it. They've observed it. What I worry about is this, is that the church of Jesus Christ has adopted what I would call corporate Gnosticism. We have adopted the idea that the church is a, is a, a dispenser of, of, of spiritual goods and services, and we have started to ignore that the church was meant to be in as much as the church is the body of Christ, in as much as the church is sent to display who Christ is, in as much as that is true, I worry that we have forgotten that the church is meant to be observed, that the church is meant to be seen, the church is meant to be heard, the church is meant to be touched. We have touched it with our hands. My worry is that, that as churches become disconnected from, 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 from their neighborhoods, as churches become disconnected from their communities, as churches become essentially fast food dispensers of spiritual goods and services that people come into, go to on Sunday, go home to get spiritual refreshment, my worry is that the people in the community cannot see them. They cannot hear them. They cannot touch them, and they certainly can't observe them. And even a person longing to be spiritually changed, even a person longing to, to, to have meaning, even a person longing, they, 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 what they get is not an observation of who Jesus is, but rather they just get ghostly whispers. They get whispers of a ghost, but nothing that can ever transform it. And so even if they should wander into our, into our services, Right? Hopefully we're going to touch them. Hopefully we're going to love them. But if you think about what we do, and if the church is not observed in any other way, our behavior seems simply like ghostly behavior, right? We sing songs. To who? To God. Where is he? Well, he's invisible. So we can't see him, but he's there. Yes, how do you know? Well, I know him, but how do you know? Well, I've met Jesus. Well, how do, you, how do you know? Do you see that this might seem strange? This might seem odd. This might seem untenable to people coming in who have never encountered or don't understand anything about the faith that we know. So them. What is the answer? The answer is a fully enfleshed church. It's a church that has not ghosted. It's a church that is, 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 not, is not just haunting the neighborhood. But it is a church that is touchable. It's a church that is seeable. It's a church that is observable because that which is observed can be the glory of God. If you want Jesus to be known, a lot of times they're going to have to know Jesus through us first. 
They're not going to come in and, and assent to, to a spiritual idea that is foreign to their thinking and foreign to their mind. And I remind you, especially in neighborhoods like Goblin Heights, Godfrey Lee, Westside and places like this, where there are more and more third generation unchurched or immigrant cultures that they might not have a background that we have built in for Judeo-Christian thinking, wherein we say you should believe in God and come back to him and they repent and come back. We say you should believe in God, they're going to say which one. And if the God that we believe in is serious is only ghost God, only spiritual, never enfleshed. The God that they're going to believe in is probably going to be a God of their own making and their own spiritual thinking because if they've never seen it lived, if they've never experienced it, it does not, for a person who does not have a background in this book, make a lot less sense to make up their own God when it will appear to them that that, that is what the ghost church has done. So what is the, 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 answer, the answer is for us to reject corporate Gnosticism, right? There is a reason that we do things in the community. Coming up, we're going to do hats and mittens for, for the school. And the hats, I, mean, I even asked them this year, I'm like, is this helpful to you? We want to do what ministers to you. And so, but every year we do hats and mittens. We put the hats and the mittens together. We wrap them up in a little package. We put a gift to you from your friends at Crosswinds Church. And then Dave Block and I usually go over, put on Santa Claus hats, and we deliver those to all the classrooms at, at North Godwin. Um, I will be honest with you, my introvertedness uh, level compared to the level at which they want me to act very Santa-y in this experience is always, always at odds. And I feel like the production's getting bigger every year. But we go over there every year, and the principal brings us room to room, and she yells, guys, do you know what they have? What do you think they have in this, this bag? And sometimes the kids who have been there for a few years, they yell out, it's presents! And they come, and they hug us, and, and they love on us. If they haven't, if it's the kindergarten class, then the principal will usually yell out, sounding much like Oprah, it's presents, and we will pass out the gifts, and here's what you think, well, that's a minor thing, that's not anything, here's what I know, I get every year from that gift cards, not gift cards, uh, thank you cards, thank you cards from parents and grandparents saying, we love what you did for our kids, we just want to thank you so much for loving on them, thank you so much for doing this, see, that's the beginning of the enfleshment of, of, of the church. It, it embodies the church. And here's, here's what I know. I know this, that if they survey people in our culture and they ask them, what, do, what are evangelicals like? And they do this. Go Google this this afternoon. I won't give you the whole list, but Google any survey where they tell you what evangelicals are like, and you are not going to be happy with that list because their description of us is typically hateful, judgmental, unkind. That's the list that others are making. Is that true of us? I don't think that's true of us. Is that how they're seeing us? Obviously it is. What's the answer? They need to observe us. They need to see us. The answer is the church in flesh. Now we bring in the, in, in the presence. That's just one little thing, but we do other things each year, and each time we do that, people start to go, oh, thanks. Um, we do uh, the, the KSSN workers, which are workers there in the school. Anytime they have a need, we have a need. Someone needs this. Could you help out? We are the first to do that as soon as possible. Why? Because we want them to know that Jesus loves them, and we want to act like his flesh, and we want them to observe Christians who care for them. We want them to, to see us. There's a reason we're giving out Thanksgiving baskets. Yes, we care that people eat 
That's important to us that people have a good Thanksgiving. But more important to us is this, is that they know that there is a good God. His name is Jesus, and he loves us, and he loves them, and he cares for them. How do we do that? We enflesh it. How do we enflesh that? By walking with people. Uh, uh, Pastor Dave Block and I get this sort of regularly in which we're hanging out with with, with people, and, and they'll, they'll be talking, and then they'll, they'll, they'll cuss, and they'll say, oh, no offense, no offense. I'm like, it's cool, it's cool. But then what often happens to us, they say, no, dude, you are the most different pastor I have ever met. And I, I, I'm like, thanks, I think that's a compliment. They're like, no, man, it's cool. And, and Dave Black will routinely have people go, I could never talk to another pastor, but I can talk to you. I have friends where I can share the gospel with them, them directly and with their idea of what an evangelical or what a Christian is, it, it, is not broken. Why? Because it's enfleshed. What happens when the congregation begins to enflesh in, in itself is that Jesus is observable in that. Jesus is given a body. He is not a ghost in the neighborhood. He's not a rumor. He's not haunting it, but he's here and he can be seen and he can be observed and he can be known and he can be glorified. I have a, a, um, a thank you card uh, that, that I received from, from the workers at North Goblin. This one said, said Crosswinds, thank you for so much, all that you do and all the love that you show. You are truly a small but mighty congregation. It is not about that accolade, but that makes me proud because that means that their association of the body of Jesus is not with some otherworldly haunting sort of thing, but their association of who Jesus is is with someone who loves them, who cares for them, and will do things for them. And we see this again and again and again and again and again. We need to stop being corporately Gnostic. If a church exists in a neighborhood, in any neighborhood that it is in, it must touch the people around it. It must interact with the people around it. It must be observable with the people around it so Jesus gets the glory. We are here a lot of times during, during the week. It can be interesting during the week around here. Uh, if you don't know, uh, the center of the city of Grand Rapids is gentrifying. When the center of the city of Grand Rapids gentrified means when the rich folk decided that they wanted to put nicer restaurants downtown, part of what happened is some of the problems that were downtown got pushed this way. Meaning that the homeless problem that was in the center of the city has been pushed down South Division towards us. Issues like prostitution, uh, which, were, which were on the other side of 28th Street historically, have been pushed into our neighborhood. So much so that we were having a men's, uh, a men's activity uh, a few years ago and we looked out the door and there was a man trying to pick up a young lady on our corner right here attached to our property. Gentrification has pushed a lot of these things. And so you might not know it, but we have a lot of, um, a lot of homeless walking through and walking by all the time during the week. And so two or three times a week, we're, we're talking to people who stop by and ask about something. What can you do? And honestly, we are not, uh, we are not like the flush with cash congregation, so we're not routinely like writing a check to them. But what we do is we do listen, and we do give dignity, and we do invite them sometimes to eat with us, or we do give them food, and we care for them, and we treat them as human, and we treat them as every bit as valuable to God as we are because they are right and we do that regularly why do we do that because the gospel because Jesus is meant to be enfleshed in the church a church must have a body if it's to be observed and a church that can't be observed often functions only like a ghost in the community and what I want to call us to and what I hope will happen is that we will all move on 
from the corporate Gnosticism, the, 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 corporate, the corporate idea that we're just a spiritual entity, that, that the physical, the flesh doesn't matter. No, we were called to be the flesh of Jesus Christ in our community so that the church would not function or be seen as a ghost. Something just haunting it but never obtainable. This is what I know about ghosts and most of my, most of my, uh, most of my ghost knowledge comes from the Harry Potter books, to be honest. But here's what I know about ghosts is that ghosts Ghost can't eat. Uh, ghosts can't touch. Ghosts can't, in Harry Potter they can be seen, but I feel, like, uh, I feel like J.K. Rowling has that one wrong, right? You can't see ghosts. You can't touch ghosts. Ghosts can't eat. Ghosts can't hug. Ghosts can't love. Ghosts can't do any of those things. But the flesh and the blood of Jesus can and the Gnostic idea that the church exists just to be a distributor or a displayer of spiritual goods and services is a false idea. The body of Christ is meant to be displayed so that Jesus might be observed. And when Jesus is observed, he is glorified. There's a reason we emphasize local. There's a reason why we talked about this last year. Some of you are like, I feel guilty because I don't live here. It's okay. You don't have to live here. What I'm talking about is us corporately displaying Jesus Christ in Godwin Heights. Us corporately displaying Jesus Christ in Godfrey Lee. And the reality that diaspora, the spreading out of believers all over, is a way in which God uses to plant new churches in new neighborhoods. God might be calling you and have you on the front lines of the church plant. It's okay. I'm not talking in this case about where you live. I'm talking about where the church exists and how the church displays Jesus. We are not meant to be a ghost. We are not meant to be a vapor. We are not meant to be a vague impression. We are not meant to be whatever that is. You might have, have watched uh, the TV show Ghost Hunters or seen advertisements for Ghost Hunters on TV. Here's what I know is that in Ghost Hunters, they hunt all show long. Every week they hunt for ghosts. You know what never happens at the end of Ghost Hunters? They never find them, right? If you don't get Ghost Hunters reference, here's one for you. You ever seen Scooby-Doo? The ghost ain't real. Ain't never found no ghost. We ain't called to be a ghost. It's corporate Gnosticism. Jesus was meant to be seen. He was meant to be heard. He was meant to be touched. He was meant to be observed. And the observation of Jesus results in the glory of God being displayed. We are the body of Christ. We cannot be corporately Gnostic. We must be enfleshed. We must move on from ghost church to be the fully embodied body of Christ. We are intentionally local at Crosswinds. It is a value. It is a core value. It is one of our most cherished family values because we believe that in it, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be known. The glory of Jesus Christ will be spread and the community will encounter a great God who we know and love and who loves them. Let us never be ghosts, but let us enflesh Jesus in our communities. Pray with me.